Hey everyone, Ian here with a couple of notes before we get into the episode proper. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we decided to get in touch with Dr. Ali Matu, a clinical psychologist that James has worked with in the past. A bit more on that in the episode. Near the end of the interview, Dr. Matu mentions that tomorrow, May 18th, is Mental Health Action Day. He didn't have the URLs during the interview, but he provided them to us after we wrapped, so I decided to add them here before we got started. The website for Mental Health Action Day is mentalhealthaction.network. It is sponsored by Mental Health is Health, which has a number of mental health tools and resources available at mentalhealthishealth.us. We hope that you enjoy this interview as much as we did, and perhaps find some of the information useful. Anyway, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. The only one who can tell you you can't win is you, and you don't have to listen. I'm Ian Woodworth, I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Ali Matu, host of The Psych Show and clinical psychologist here to talk with us about mental health in TTRPGs. Dr. Matu, welcome to Undercommon Taste. Hey, thanks for having me, folks. It's good to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. James has a little bit of history with you. I'll let James <laughs> explain that if he wants. So as we've mentioned a handful of times or two on the show, I do have Tourette's. And so I was actually several years ago able to work with A&E with a program helping people try to find employment. It was called The Employables. And with that, I was able to work with Dr. Matu for a bit. And we had a, a fun session and a decent afternoon. We got to discuss some geek culture, different stuff. We had some fairly good conversations. And so talking about gaming and stuff, as Ian and I have talked about several times, Gaming, psychology and gaming, mental health and gaming has come up quite a bit. And I figured Dr. Matu would have a very interesting perspective on the topic. Yeah, we had a lot of fun that day. One of the memories I have of our filming is um, it was really sunny that day. Yeah. <laughs> and so they could, we had to like keep moving our desk so that the sun <laughs> wouldn't like be right in our face and hit the cameras. And so right. we were constantly like running away from the setting sun. <laughs> was, I didn't have to do that on any other day of that shoot or any of the other shoots we had. But yeah, we had a we had a good time. So yeah, when you reached out, I was like, I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. to talk to you all. I awesome. think this is going to be super fun. I appreciate you all doing a conversation on this for Mental Health Awareness Month, too. Yeah. So let's go ahead and start off with some general introductions. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, <laughs> what you do. Yeah, totally. So I am a clinical psychologist. I'm also a geek. I grew up a huge sci-fi geek. I was super into... I first got into Star Wars, but that led me to Star Trek very quickly, which I liked a lot more because Star Wars really scared me. <laughs> uh, it was like everyone was like losing their limbs. Um, <laughs> a lot of like intense stuff was happening. And Star Trek felt more like this is us in the future. And so that led me into like all science fiction. I was a huge fan of Planet of the Apes series. I watched all of those, <laughs> including the like one season of the TV show that a lot of people forget about. I loved all that sort of stuff. And I sort of missed out on a lot of tabletop gaming when I was a kid. I did play 
Magic the Gathering was sort of coming out. Nice, yeah. Right when I was in middle school, I think. And so I played a little bit of that, but then I kind of got into the Star Trek customizable card game and Marvel had a version too. Neither oh. of those are, yeah, yeah, I played that a lot, actually. Neither of those are around still. Magic has outlasted all of them. And all this stuff eventually got me to psychology. I was super interested in how science fiction asked these big questions about who we are, why we do what we do. And then I discovered that there's a science that has answers for those questions. And that kind of led me to psychology. And then I became a clinical psychologist because I wanted to help people. And I was a very socially anxious, awkward kid. I had selective mutism when I was a kid. That meant in certain situations, I just didn't talk. So I got really interested in learning about anxiety and how I can help other people overcome some of those problems. Long story short, I started to get more involved in media and creating stuff and appearing on stuff and doing that kind of stuff because I feel like everyone should have access to this knowledge, to this information. And uh, I think mental health belongs to all of us, not just psychologists and therapists cooked up in fancy offices. So that's what I do. That's who I am. And uh, looking forward to chatting mental health and geeking out with you two. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, you did bring up one of our questions is talking about gaming. So yeah, Magic mm -hmm. the Gathering, definitely the tabletop card games. And even with Wizards of Coast, they are starting to blend a little bit of D&D &D and Magic the Gathering together a little bit more. You're seeing some immersion between the two of those. Yeah, I didn't do D&D &D as a kid. I didn't play D&D &D until I was an adult. But what I did do is... I started to get involved in the Star Trek role-playing game. It was like Generation 1 email in the oh. 90s. Uh, yeah. Were the old mud games? They kind of. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> so I did do a lot of, um, did either of you play any of the LucasArts, Sierra Adventure games? Yes. So I was super into like that and storytelling there. And then somehow that got me to the Star Trek role-playing game where I met these people on IRC chat back in the <laughs> 90s. And we did a lot of what you would consider D&D, &D, but just through email and the 90s. Okay. And so one of the annoying things was like sometimes you'd be dialing into the Internet to get the latest story update. And sometimes two people would send updates at the same time. But because we had like such bad Internet connections, you wouldn't really know. And so like. That part was kind of weird, but I had a lot of fun with that, but didn't really do much role-playing stuff until I was an adult. And then during the pandemic, I started playing a little bit more with the group of friends, and that was kind of one way that we were staying in touch when we weren't physically in touch. Yeah, that was actually a really big thing for a lot of people, especially with virtual tabletops like Roll20 and stuff like that really picked up during the pandemic, which was kind of neat. And that was also, you know, what spawned a whole dearth of nerd podcasts. Exactly, yeah. This one included. <laughs> this one included, yeah. This this podcast is a COVID baby. And, and we have lots of friends in the TTRPG podcast community that we've made through the show who started their shows at roughly the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been so much worse if we didn't have all this tech infrastructure mm -hmm. yeah. to kind of help us through that time. Like, even though we so many of us couldn't be with each other, we could still find ways to connect, to stay in touch. And that's one of the cool things that's come out of the research of that time is people who felt like they still had a sense of connection 
to others and support that way did a lot better than people who felt like they didn't have that connection. And that connection didn't have to be in person. It could be through Discord. It could be through texting. It could be through all these different products that we had. So very thankful it was not the 1990s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I like that too. That is one thing that I heard from older generations that I don't hear near as much after COVID is the whole thing. Mm. Well, it's an online friend. It's not a real friend. It's not a real person mm. you actually know where those friendships and those relationships can be very real. And I think COVID and the isolation that we all had to go through went a long way to prove and cement that that is a valid connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I'm really interested in now is this idea of social support, how we're able to support each other, be there for each other and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I can geek out about that a lot. <laughs> I say that and people are like, oh, it's about listening to your feelings and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, sometimes, but it's also just doing something fun together or gaming together, like helping to give people a break from all the thoughts that are swimming around in their head. Anyways, a lot of that can happen online. And a lot of that can be just knowing that these people are out there is helpful for folks. I think there used to be this idea that, yeah, like online stuff is not the same as in person. And while in person is always like the best, there are ways to make online more feel like in person. So like what we are doing right now, video face to face, we actually see each other. We're talking. That's good. Voice stuff is better than text. So you can talk to other people again through Discord. And once you start to get to like texts and stuff like that, it's easier to have more misunderstandings and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can happen. But it doesn't mean that any relationship where you're not in person is any less real. No, absolutely not. So going through, I know there's a branch of psychology called play therapy. Yeah. Can you kind of discuss and break down what that is or how it would work? Yeah, it's definitely probably not the kind of play that we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much D&D oriented and all of that. So it's something that was developed to work with kids. And the idea of play therapy is through play, you can have both a therapeutic understanding of where someone's at, and also you can do some therapeutic interventions. So what I mean by that is through different forms of play, you can better understand what's going on for someone through the themes of what they're bringing up, how they're drawing stuff, in what ways are the characters sort of interacting with each other. So I used to, uh, now I live in Northern California, but before I was in New York City, and I remember this kid I was working with in the mid-2000s, uh, mid-2000s? No, it was like 2010. He was obsessed with playing with Jenga blocks and then having an airplane run into these Jenga blocks, and he kept pretending that it was like 9-11 over and over again. Oh, wow. So like, obviously, that's something we have to talk about. Right. It's obviously something that's on his mind. And it's something for us to kind of work through. And so that's one way in which play therapy can work is you see the themes that are coming up. And then you can use play to kind of help people like work through those themes. Like, okay, great. oh, so like, you know, why is this running into that? And what do you think is going to happen? And what's, you know... So a lot of therapists will use it. Some people will do just that is like that's the treatment. Some people use it in combination with other interventions. Some people use it just like as a fun thing to do at the end. 
there's a lot of diversity there, but that's kind of like the big idea of play therapy. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. And I think even in a tabletop game, I mean, even with teens and adults, you will see them, especially in their role play, that that kind of stuff will start to bubble to the surface. And I think at that point, you can kind of, you know, a lot of stuff does get addressed on the table that even the characters or the players as they play their characters don't realize they're bringing. And all suddenly it's like, oh, well, I didn't mean to address that, but there it is at the table, you know? And so <laughs> it, it's people like, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the stuff that's on our mind has a way of kind of working its way to the art that we create, the games that we play, all that sort of stuff. And I think if something keeps coming up, then it's like meaningful. So a lot of times people assume therapists are really interested in dreams and what's going on and like finding the meaning behind dreams. But the reality is like no one knows what a dream means except for you. And what I mean by that is like if certain stuff keeps coming up and you think it's important, then it's important. If it's important to you, then it's important. And if it means something to you, then it's like meaningful. And so what I mean by all of this is if certain themes keep coming up in the games that you're playing, in the dreams that you have in your life, then there's probably something there. <laughs> and so like, let's figure out what's going on. And like you said, oh, I didn't mean to do that, but like now it's here. So, okay, let's kind of work through it. All right. So your focus in psychology is in anxiety and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. The TTRPG community is stereotypically filled with a bunch of neurodivergent people. <laughs> a lot of us are introverts. A lot of us have social anxiety to varying degrees. Do you see gaming like TTRPGs as a good way to help people work through some of those anxiety issues? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a lot of stuff there. We could, again, we could spend like hours talking about <laughs> just that question. So let me try to address different parts of it. We know when it comes to anxiety, one of the things that fuels anxiety and makes it worse is uncertainty, stress, rapidly changing situations, new situations. Basically, when you don't know what's going to happen, that will make your anxiety a lot worse. And for people who have social anxiety, when you feel like you're being judged or you're going into new situations, people you don't know, sometimes people you do know well, all those things can make your social anxiety a lot worse. People who have neurodiverse brains see things differently and have different strengths and different weaknesses. And so one of the things that's true of a lot of people, whether it's being on the autism spectrum, having ADHD, different ways of seeing the world, predictability helps, logic helps, structure helps, rules and expectations <laughs> can help. And so if we put all of this stuff together, and introvert for people who are introverted. So you mentioned social anxiety, neurodiversity. The other one is introversion. Introversion is really about your battery for social situations. And some people have a big battery and they get charged up by being with other people. That's more me. And <laughs> other people are more introverted and they have a smaller battery. So like they still want social interaction, but it can be overwhelming faster and it can drain their battery faster. So that's introversion and extroversion. And so for people who are introverted, they're, you know, a little bit more selective about the kind of social situation, how much social situation, what they want to do. So if we put all these things together, the beauty of gaming, and I'm going to say this like broadly speaking of gaming, 
The beauty of gaming is it has an ability to bring people together and to interact with each other in an environment that has rules and expectations. Now, that is true of whether you're playing basketball with someone or you're playing Street Fighter 2. Does anyone still play Street Fighter 2? I think like five or six is about to come out. I was a big Street Fighter guy, so that's where that's coming from. Uh, Mario Kart. Let's go with Mario Kart. Uh, I love Mario Kart. Or if you're playing a tabletop game, you're playing D&D, you're doing all the stuff. There are rules and expectations that help people to be together and have this shared common purpose and objective. So that helps people who have social anxiety because, okay, now I know how I'm going to interact with other people. I know the focus is less on me. It's more on what we're doing. I should say for some people, when you feel like you have to perform, it makes social anxiety worse. That might be true more of competitive gaming, but it can be true too if you're playing Smash Brothers with a friend and if you feel like you're being very much judged by your performance, like maybe it'll make your social anxiety worse. So maybe you have to find the right game. Maybe like Overcooked is a better game for you. I don't know. So for social anxiety, like the focus being less on you can be helpful. For someone who has a uh, neurodiverse brain, then I'm thinking about like the structure, the rules, the expectation, the logic. All of those things can be helpful. We know for a lot of people who have ADHD, gaming can be one of those times where you do have, it is a lot easier to kind of focus in and hone in your attention and feel like you're more in control of that. And then also for someone who's introvert, again, that structure, that expectation, the control that you have over the social situation, you know, like, okay, Thursday nights, that's my game night. It's going to go from this time to that time. It's easy for me to leave when it's done. You know, that's something with like people who are introverted and socially anxious. Leaving is really hard. Like, how do I do that? It's so awkward. How do I just like, do I just like slowly escape out of the scene? So for all of these reasons and others, gaming can be something that is a great way to be with other people in a way that is soothing and nurturing and healthy for your brain and a nice relief. And it's a fantastic way, again, at social support. Social support is not just about like talking about your feelings. It is often being with other people and getting a break from your feelings, a break from your thoughts. And so for all of these reasons, I think gaming, broadly speaking, but also specific to tabletop can be super healthy, super important and just lovely. Yeah, I remember I started watching some of your YouTube videos in preparation for our interview. And you're going into talking about different aspects of anxiety. And I came to realize that part of the reason why I became a DM for D&D was so that I could be in a social situation where I could get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And DMs are just I have such respect for DMs because everyone else is like excited to play. And the DM, meanwhile, is like, okay, well, I'm creating a universe for you. Yes. <laughs> That's not, <laughs> it takes a special amount of like skill and dedication to do that. Uh, I couldn't DM. I'm just too excited to play. I could not do that. So I have a lot of respect for people who do. Ian is a really, really good DM. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I like to joke the people who tell you to go big or go home are seriously underestimating my willingness to go home. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that was one of those revelations that came out of 
you know, listening to your videos and mm. assessing where I am, you know. I love that. I love that you were kind of reflecting and it kind of led to this like a uh, good understanding. You know, I think um, so my training, I'm very much I like to think of myself as like a humanistic behavioralist. And so I think nothing is more important than my relationship with other people. That's a humanism. But the behavioralist part of me is we do everything for a reason. So <laughs> and sometimes that reason is not clear, but obviously the actions we take are doing something for us. So let's try to understand those. And so I think that's what you did right there. It's like, yeah. okay, well, what what is it about DMing? What is that doing for me? It's like, oh, it allows me definitely to have this experience that feels good, that in other situations is very hard for me to do. I think that's a great insight to have. In, in some of your videos talking about social anxiety and things like that, you talked about developing coping skills. Mm -hmm. And would role-playing, do you see this as a way to develop coping skills as in just basic, you know, talking, social interaction, conflict resolution, clear communication, things like that. Would you see this as usable in that aspect? Oh, absolutely. There's a whole generation of people now, whether they're actors, writers. I mean, you hear this a lot in the creative industry. There's a generation of people who grew up playing D&D in the 70s, in the 80s. Like, I'm blanking on the right word, but it's like the first editions would yeah. that be the right word? Yeah. yeah, okay. They played like those early editions of D&D. Like I think the manual is like that thin. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was like an instruction manual for building an Ikea table or something. <laughs> so you have people who grew up on those early generations who talk about how instrumental this was in helping them develop skills related to storytelling, to plot, to character, all that sort of stuff. I think this gets shared less. But I think there are similarly generations of people who grew up playing D&D &D where it taught them about friendship and it taught them about communication. It taught them about collaboration. You hear these skills a lot in sports. Oh, I played soccer. I learned how to share the ball and that you can't be a ball hog and there's sportsmanship. You have to be a good loser as much as like you can't gloat when you win. All of these life lessons. I think the same is true of tabletop gaming. Because if you're really not nice to play with, you're not nice to play with. And you might not get invited back. <laughs> right. Or the DM is going to have to have a conversation with you afterwards. Or if you're not taking things seriously, like that's really annoying to everyone else who's playing. There's a lot you learn through the play. And then there's a lot you learn to play, right? Like everything that it takes to show up to work together, to collaborate. All of those things I think are important, even if it's just learning how important it is to make a commitment to other people, to meet together at a certain time on a regular basis, and to be able to work through the problems and the challenges of continuing to meet at that time. I think that's a lot of like gaming groups, how much conflict comes up over like, when are we going to meet? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Scheduling is the BBEG of every yeah. role playing game. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of value in just that. Whenever you get a group of people together doing something together over a long period of time, a lot of social stuff happens. And working through that, learning how to do that, there's value in that. And then definitely in the play as well, there's a ton of value of like waiting your turn, 
thinking about what you're going to say, thinking about how do I communicate this? How do I share this with other people? How do I work within the rules and the limitations of this situation? All of that, it's all social, it's all emotional, and those skills are totally transferable to a wide variety of situations. Absolutely. Talking about sports, that is one thing. I played football through high school. And looking back, I think I learned more on the field playing than I did probably in the classroom because, I mean, I would be able to go home and just read ahead in the books. That was fine. But a lot of the hard lessons I learned, and that was, you know, dealing with other individuals and interacting. I was extremely shy growing up. Unfortunately, I learned to communicate with others, probably in one of the worst possible places. There was a land called Yahoo chat rooms. <laughs> and, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. So, I remember you know, taking that and then learning to communicate with people in a small group that has definitely edged that kind of tempered that. So I much better now. And even that small interactions, you know, does help. Well, and that is okay. So like a big thing that I have learned, this is from a former teacher of mine, Shelly Taylor. She's a professor in college and she studies a lot of this idea of social support. And one of the things she said is, you know, some animals have big teeth. Sharks have big teeth. Some animals run really fast, like, uh, I don't know, gazelles, I guess, are really good at running. And then some animals have really thick skin, like rhinos. They have a lot of protection. We don't have any of those things. (laughs) we have very thin skin, our teeth are pretty terrible, and uh, we don't run particularly fast. What we have is our ability to work together and our ability to form groups and to collaborate. Most animals cannot collaborate beyond their bloodline. And you can get like wolf packs, yeah, but even like apes and chimpanzees, you get to a certain level and like they can't work outside their tribe and their families. Humans can work together with anyone. We can find a shared purpose and and kind of find a way to work together. That's our superpower. And so anything that helps us to do that is great. The way kids learn is often through play. We talked about play therapy, but what we didn't talk about is our kids, they meet and make friends by playing on the playground. Mm -hmm. And it is how they learn compassion. A kid falls and gets a boo-boo, like let's help them out. It's how they learn how to be supportive of one another. It's how they learn everything about interacting with people. Yeah, it doesn't change. Like we're not playing on the playground anymore. But as we get older, we play different things together and we have different ways of doing things together, whether it's sports, tabletop, role playing or dance. You know, there's so many ways in which humans have fun together over some type of shared social activity that has rules like a card game. Like there's so many ways in which humans do this kind of stuff. And yeah, there's so much to learn. I think about all the kids out there that might be struggling And if you can kind of invite them to a game and say, like, here's all you have to do. All you have to do is worry about A, B, and C. We'll help you with everything else. Well, now they're connected with someone else. And the absolute worst thing you can do to a human is make them feel excluded and isolated and alone. And gaming's a way that we can invite people to join. That is something to completely celebrate. It's not the 70s and 80s anymore. We're not afraid of, well... In some parts of the world, maybe we are. <laughs> We're not afraid of like D&D being like devil worship and like this leading to like satanic craziness. No, this is something to completely celebrate. Did either of you ever see that Tom Hanks movie? 
about Dungeons and Dragons? I have no. uh, I have not watched the movie. I have watched the Cinema Sins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> summary video of the movie. I did not know yeah. this was a thing. Yeah, was oh, it? Um, oh, you don't know about this? this? Is Monsters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the height of the. Okay, I'm gonna have to like band. Netflix this or something. Yeah, it's it's nice. like the opposite of the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. Whereas oh, okay. this one is like a celebration of the game. That was a complete film version of, yeah, all the fears oh, wow. of that time of D&D. Yeah, I haven't seen it myself, but I, I kind of want to just out of curiosity. Yeah, I, I need to find that. It was basically a major motion picture version of a chick tract. Oh, <laughs> well then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Matu, you've talked about inclusion and in groups and things like that and social yeah. support groups. Yeah. Would your friend circle or your gaming circle make a good support group or is there something else that you should be looking mm. for in a support group? That's an interesting question. Yes and no. Yes and no. So this is one of those tricky things where, you know, it's really hard to get all of your human needs out of like one person or a small group of people. And what I mean by that, if I look at my own life, I have my wife and she is not only one of my best friends, but she's also like my partner. We talk about everything. We support each other and all of that. But the reason I say she's one of my best friends is <laughs> we don't share a ton of big geeky passions. She's really into musicals. She got me into musicals. I love musicals. Awesome. But she does not like any of the sci-fi stuff I like. We have some gaming connection. She loves Mario Kart and she's better at me. <laughs> the first time we played it, I beat her and then I didn't realize it, but she spent the next weekend practicing. And then the next That's time awesome. we played, she destroyed me. <laughs> she continues to destroy me. So now all I try to do is just like, Okay, how can I just keep her from getting first place? That is my that's my game. Like blue shell, what can I do? I just want to make her victories less. But beyond that, like we don't share a complete interest in like entertainment and stuff like that. So I have other friends who are my friends that we want to see movies together. We want to talk about this stuff. We want to debate this stuff. And that's okay. It's okay for you not to get all of your support from one group of people. We used to live in larger communities where you could get different forms of support from different people. So let's say you needed help moving or putting something together. Well, maybe there's one group of people who are very good at providing that type of instrumental support who will come over, help you with that thing, help you put up what you need to put up or put together what you need to put together. And then there's different people that you could talk to about something you're struggling with. And then there's different people who might give you advice life advice about what to do with your career and work. And then there's other people you could play with. Some of us might be lucky enough to have that all in one small group. Many of us do not, and that's okay. I think one of the challenges of friendships and of fellowship is figuring out who is good for helping you with different things. And a lot of times, you're not gonna know until you try. It's a lot of trial and error. And the other side of it, too, is it's very hard to provide support and to know 
what the other person needs. And my advice there is just to try. If you're worried about someone or you're concerned, just offer something. Just try to do something. I think one of the things that we try so often to do is like, let me know if you need any help with anything or anything I can do for you. And usually someone who might be struggling, they're struggling. And what am I going to say? Yeah, please help me. That's very hard. It's hard to say that. And it's also hard to know what you need help with. So just offer. If you're worried about someone, offer. Like if you're good at making food, offer to make them food. If you're good at finding funny memes about a show they like, send them funny memes about the show they like. If you're just good at listening, offer to go over and just like listen and talk and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you're good at gaming and DMing, offer to do that. Did I answer your question about? I don't. I don't even know what the question yeah. is. <laughs> well, again, if, again, you did touch on a lot of it. So, like, if you are looking for that support group, what yeah. makes a good support group? And I think you did cover yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think a good support group. You have some shared interests, and you might have a diversity of skills. So, someone is good at. X, another person's good at Y, another person's good at Z. And so that way, if you need help, there's someone in that group who is going to be better at one thing or another. So you're building a TTRPG party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Everything, everything in life basically comes back to that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, because you can only get so far with a party full of wizards. Eventually, you're true. going to need a fighter. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. In my vernacular, you're going on an away mission to a new planet and you don't want a bunch of Vulcan scientists on that. Like <laughs> you need it would really be helpful to have a Klingon. Yes. So talking about games and things like that, we know in a lot of games, a lot of movies, issues with mental health are brought mm. up. A lot of the times are mechanics in the game. A lot of times they are story arcs. What is a good way to address these so they're mm. not overwhelming or not offensive or what's a good way to like if they're too much to draw them back or should they be avoided in general man that's a great question too like how much time you got <laughs> <laughs> so i think that my biggest issue with what i've seen in entertainment and tv and film is when the villain is a villain really because of their mental illness that's like what drives everything. I think that plays to a very dangerous stereotype about mental illness is that people with mental illness are violent or mental illness leads to violence. You know, that's just not true. Most people who have a mental health disorder, they're more likely to be the victims of a crime and the victims of violence than they are to be violent themselves. And I think with a lot of the mass murders, the attacks we have in our lovely country here, the United States, that's the first thing that gets blamed is like, oh, well, the person was experiencing mental illness. And usually that's not the case. Or another way to think about it is the vast majority of people who are struggling with mental illness are not in any ways doing those things. So I think that's number one thing to watch out is if you're building a character or this is themes of mental health are going to be a part of the story. Don't let their villainy hinge on this thing that they're struggling with. Like that's number one. Don't do that. I think the way to do it is if you break down what is mental health, mental health is about your thoughts, 
the things going on in your head. It's about your feelings, like what's going on in your body. It's about the actions you take, what you do. It's about the stress you're under, the pressures on you, things like that. It's about how you manage the stress, your resiliency, and it's about relationships in your life. That's a lot of stuff. That's really broad. And if you want to do mental health right, just speak to those things. Just make it one other part of the person's story. And I think this is true of gaming and this is true of life as well. IRL life, I should say. Um, gaming is life for a lot of us. But my story as someone who grew up with anxiety, who treats anxiety, this is just one part of my story. There's a lot of other threads to my story. It's an important part, but it also doesn't completely define me. There's a lot of ways to understand who I am. And I would say as much as you can, make it one part of the person's story. I think a tendency a lot of us have is this person's gone through this trauma and it's now kind of defined them. And that's just not true for people. It's just one part of their story. And there's a lot more to a person when you kind of try to get to know who they really are. It's one of the things in my life as a psychologist working with people, what I've come to realize is when I first call someone or when I kind of read about what they want to come in and work on, I think one thing. And then as I get to know the person, I realize, oh, I was totally off. That always happens. I'm always off because people are complicated and there's a lot more to the person. So don't let the mental illness, mental health be defining everything about the person. Like that. And that does generally make for a better character and better storytelling mm. in general is having a multifaceted character. You know, Game of Thrones did a lot of things wrong. They did a lot of things right. One thing George mm. R. R. Martin did is his characters were very multifaceted, which I enjoyed in the stories versus, you know, earlier or more pulp stories where it's just a very single, like the character just has one role in one thing and that's all they do. Yeah, I think Tyrion Lannister is so interesting. You know, as a character who has struggled with substance use and depression, but also is not defined by that completely. There's so much going on. Oh, it's been so long since I thought of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm thinking of the right character, right? Yeah, Tyrion, yeah. Like, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yeah Peter yeah, Dinklage. Yeah. yeah, okay, thank you. It's been like years <laughs> since I've thought about it. Like after those last two seasons of the HBO series. Where, where like, they owned it in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really tried to forget about yeah, Game of fair Thrones. Enough, fair enough. And then the prequel. <laughs> But I did this collaboration with HBO. It was called Doctor Commentaries. It's all on YouTube. You can check it out. But I love putting together the episode on Game of Thrones because I think Tyrion Lannister, there are so many layers to that character. And there's so many ways to understand that character. And when you first see the character, you understand him one way. And then as time goes on, you begin to understand that there's a lot more to him. And I think you're right. Like, that does make for good characters. It's also just more realistic. Like, so I'll make it more tangible. If you're making a character that struggles with depression, let's say, there's going to be times where that character's motivation is low. Guilt might be high. Helplessness might be high. They might be less likely to see hope in certain situations. They might need more support. But there's also going to be a lot more to that character. There's research that shows people who are depressed 
tend to be highly more realistic in their assessments in the sense that they don't predict things are going to go really well. They tend to be like very hyper realistic in how they predict things are going to be. So that's going to be an element to the character. But there's so much more to that character. Like that character has hopes and desires and wishes and important relationships. And there's a lot more to them than their depression. You know, it's just one lens through which you can understand the character. You are. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Reaching the end of our interview here. So as we have mentioned, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Where should people go if they think they need some help? Who should they reach out to? I always like the idea of taking one step, taking one step further in like your mental health journey. So that might mean sharing with your friends, your family, something that's going on. Like if something's been on your mind that you want to talk about, it might mean talking about that with someone. But it also might mean if you feel like you've been kind of stuck in your thoughts, you've been too much in your head, one step forward might mean like reaching out to a friend scheduling some type of get together so you can kind of get a break from all of this. There's a great campaign that's happening next week on May 18th, I believe. It's Mental Health Day of Action. And this is like a national campaign to help people take just one hour of your day to do something for your mental health. And there's going to be a lot of people who are sharing different ways in which they're doing that. There's a website that you can go to, which I should have memorized, but I'll share it with you all. (laughs) So you can put it in the show notes. But if you just look up Mental Health Day of Action, there's going to be so many ideas of how you can take just that one step forward. And there's a lot of really great screening tools online too that you can take for anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff. And you can figure out, is what I'm going through typical? Or is this something that's kind of out of the norm? When it is more out of the norm, that's the time you want to start thinking about, maybe I want to see professional help. Maybe this is a time I want to talk to a professional. But there's so many ways in which we can just take one step forward in our mental health and what we're doing for us. And I think that looks different for different people. But I always believe like, you know, again, it's like gaming, leveling up. There's always one thing we can do to kind of help us. Sleep is a great example of that. There's always something you can do to kind of like help yourself with your sleep, make it a little bit better, a little bit deeper, a little bit more rejuvenating. So finding just like that one step forward. And again, the Mental Health Day of Action, a ton of ideas and resources over there. All right. Excellent. So I think that brings us to the end of our interview. Unless, James, you have any other questions? No, I think that wraps us up. All right. So one of the things we like to do with our guests as sort of an unwinding at the end is <laughs> is a little game that we call the Monster Mashup, where we roll some dice on a random table and create a monster on the fly with the results that we get. Love it. So if, I love it. if you're game and you have your dice ready. I'm game. Um, what is the best online dice throwing website that you all like? Uh, I don't usually use a web version. I did this in the pandemic. I was playing. See, usually whenever I'm online, I'm in something like Roll20 and they have the <laughs> dice roller built in. So yeah, here we go. OK, number of dice, side of dice. OK, so how many dice should I have? For this first one, you're going to need a D4. OK, a D4. Let me get just one D4. I can do yep. that. OK, I am ready. Should I roll? Yes. Yeah. OK, I got it's rolling right now. It's still rolling. Why is it still rolling? That is it a is really spinny die. <laughs> D4s aren't supposed to be that spinny. I got a three. A three? Yes. It burrows. 
Okay. So we have some sort of burrowing creature. Okay. We are not doing bot flies, James. No, we're not doing bot flies. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. It's the running joke. It is a running joke. Though, I mean, it's burrowing. The new Dune movie's coming out, you know, oh, yeah. the year. I'm very excited. So maybe we have a sandworm. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I was immediately thinking of Zerg from StarCraft. Oh, yes. Uh, I love the Zerg. And, yes. Yeah, they really freaked me out. <laughs> I, I, I was always human, so or Terran. Okay, should I roll again? All right. Next is going to be a D6. D6. For what does it eat? Oh, okay. I'm going to roll. I got a five. Five. Meat slash carrion. Again, <laughs> we have right. Zerglings. We, we could have Bobflies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the sandworms don't eat meat. Do they eat? Well, they, they eat sort of whatever goes in. Yeah. Through. Yeah. They're yeah. kind of filter feeders, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like Kirby. They just kind yeah. of absorb whatever. <laughs> well, when, when you're that big, you eat whatever is smaller than you. It's Yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Next is going to be another D6 for size. Okay. For size. All right. I got a one. It's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking Starship Troopers, an insect. Well, that's kind of like Zerg. Yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, they could still be Zergling. I mean, they could be actual worms. It could be some sort of like carrying or meat feeders. It could be a tendril maybe that's coming through and that's what you're seeing. Yeah from a larger thing kind of like maybe a ground-based sea anemone type thing and so you got these little feelers coming up and would blood sucking be considered meat? yeah yeah technically yeah i mean we can play i mean it's open to interpretation so yeah something like a leech or something yes. like that yeah i'm thinking like a mosquito leech okay type. like a, a burrowing mosquito yeah a burrowing do is that does that exist <laughs> or maybe like a cicada oh yeah oh thing. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, I hate cicadas. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember there's a type of fly in the Arctic that lays its eggs on like caribou and they burrow in and the grubs live Ooh. under the skin in that layer between the skin and the muscle. But we can't do bot flies. Well, you're already go pushing him into bot flies, James. I <laughs> Botflies to me are like one, just one of the scariest things possible. It's just you know something oh. that's yeah that that parasitic just under and it's gonna burst out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that would I think that would that definitely qualifies as meat eating. Yes, uh, you're feeding <laughs> off the flesh. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, next is going to be a D8 for D8. social okay. organization. All right, give me a lot of social organization. Oh, I got an eight. Look at that. <laughs> it's a horde, a hundred plus. All right. Love it. Yes. Nice. Okay. We have tiny little Zerg creatures. That's definitely. I'm thinking, remember, they used to be the big thing that we talked about in the early 2000s with the camel spiders. So you had like the little nests. Yeah. And so Ooh. maybe it's a creature that like builds a kind of like a sinkhole or something. So you step into it, whatever falls in and they just kind of swarm it. Ooh. There's that. I like that <laughs> like trap. I yeah. like that sinkhole trap. Well, this next roll will help us figure that part out because the next okay. part is a d10 roll for native uh -huh. environment oh okay go come on frozen tundra <laughs> i have a three three give me another roll the die doesn't matter just let me know even or odd okay it is uh even even freshwater coastal okay fresh water coastal so like a tide pool oh, yeah or a delta um so like starfish, you have uh sea what are those things? Sponges. I don't know. Yeah, yeah the yeah. sponges and the sea anemones. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. looking like that. But it's gotta be small. Something and it like likes meat. Something like barnacles. It could it could be a barnacle. 
It could be a um, life stage of a larger creature. Ooh, There's yeah. that. Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. I like that. And, and I mean, there are any number of fish parasites. Yeah. Like a yes. lamprey or something like that. Yeah. Hagfish. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next is going to be a D12 roll for method of defense. D12 method of defense. Uh, I got a 12. A 12. Well, this helps us. Pseudopod slash tentacle. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, maybe something like a um a early life stage of a small cephalopod. And it uses its tentacles to siphon blood. Okay. You really need to know a lot of zoology to be like a DM, <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can I'm almost picturing something that sort of burrows halfway in and then just okay. sort of leaves that tendril out. Out. Okay. Maybe they have a not quite symbiotic relationship, but like with the remoras around sharks. Sharks, okay. So maybe they like burrow in as a way to anchor themselves to a reliable food source, and then they just feed off of the flotsam that results from that thing feeding. I like that. I'm kind of going to go the Last of Us direction. What's that parasitic fungus that controls the ants? What if Uh, this is an animal version of that? And so like it latches in and it can control... A larger creature if there is a enough of them. Okay. That's intense. We might be able to do something like that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see what else we roll up. We'll see. Yeah. It kind of sees what's coming by and, and yeah. controls it. Yeah. Can hitch a ride. Yeah. All right. So this might help us. This might completely derail us. <laughs> um, <laughs> next, I need another D12 roll for creature okay. type. Okay. One. One. It's an aberration. Oh, it definitely mind controls. Definitely mind controls. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I'm a fan of mind control creatures. <laughs> I think that would make my job a lot easier. Yeah, I, I would like that. Like the, oh. what were they called? The brain worms in uh, the Animorphs books. Oh, I don't remember <sighs> those. But I like the idea, too, where you're talking about if it's like a remora, so it hops on and maybe it causes a creature to frenzy, particularly a predatory creature like a shark. And then it can feed off the flotsam that's left after like a feeding frenzy. So like the water gets yeah. chummed and it can. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I think that's how that it would punch above its weight. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so small, but this way it can control like, yeah, if it could control yeah. a shark, that's amazing. But because it is freshwater mm. and there aren't many freshwater sharks, although <laughs> I, I think they have found certain sharks in like Lake Michigan. Yeah, but I mean, it could be like um, a bull shark or just any other predatory animal if it drives into a frenzy. Yeah, I'm thinking something like maybe like a barracuda. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of those okay, yeah. carnivorous fish or even, you know, just like a bottom feeder, like one of those big old catfish. Or a crocodile or an alligator. Or a crocodile or an alligator. Oh, yeah. yeah, it can yeah. go reptilian. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think, I think at any well, point. Just... You want to be careful if you're walking by and you might step in one of these. Right. Humans are also up for grabs. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, if the party's going through and it steps in, all of a sudden your barbarian starts raging for no reason because he, he's got a foot <laughs> full of these things, you know? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, they also work in groups. So right. if many of them are inside of you, then maybe their powers are heightened in some way. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking, yeah. yeah, it follows along the lines of like cranium rats, where the more of them there are together, the more focused and more intelligent the hive mind of the whole is Ooh. oh mm-hmm. yes i love hive minds nice okay all right next we need a d20 roll 
All right. Four quirks. D20. I got an 18. 18. All right. This is interesting. Volatile hybrids capable of reproducing with different but similar species. We have xenomorphs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. So it could actually reproduce through invading the host. Yeah. Yeah, pass along its genetic material into the host, and then whenever the host yeah. reproduces... Yeah. Again, we are running really close to Zerglings, too, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, really, yeah. Tiny, tiny Zerglings. Yeah. yeah. Tiny, wet Zerglings. Well, really, it'd be the larva from the hive at this point, because those were the ones that were yeah. mutable, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like where this is going. All right, now it is time to make it weird. <laughs> so I need a D100 roll, please. Whoa. Okay. Let me just type in 100 here. That might be better than me <laughs> clicking. All right. Here we go. D100. I get a four. A four? <laughs> yeah. Well, this works with what we have created so far. It can taste through its limbs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it has, you know. How would you do a D100 roll if, if I'm using like real dice? Uh, you, you can have, roll two d10s, or there's a percentile die. Yeah, there's two. Oh. Most have two d10s, and one of them has increments of ten. Oh, interesting. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to make the executive decision that I get to make the second d100 roll today. I think okay. you because you got it last time. Okay, that works. All right, so the second d100 roll. What do we get? What do we get? Uh, fifty nine. Fifty nine is. Uh, Interesting. Can fire 2d6 barbs per day. I like that. That's how maybe it latches on is it uses those barbs to to sink into the host. And that's how it penetrates through a hide or a skin. And it could also be part of a defense mechanism as well. Especially if it's parasitizing like a crocodile. Yeah. You know, something with that really thick, scaly hide. Yeah. What is a barb? Is that like a spike? Yeah. Yeah. Spike or like a quill. Yeah. That would make sense for that thick skin because it, yeah. it has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could sit there and anchor in. And that's going to really, I mean, if you just step on them and they're not terribly hungry at that point, then it's just going to, you know, fill your foot full of pokey holes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I, but I mean, even just basing it off of what we have so far, no, yeah. because it has this tentacle that sort of flops around and <laughs> yeah. it's able to taste through. It makes perfect sense that that tentacle has barbs on it. Yeah, to latch in. Yeah, as a way to attach itself to the host until the burrowing end has a chance to burrow in. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. And and as a way to snatch edibles out of the water around it. I like that. So you're you're walking through the swamp or whatever, and you see something that just looks like a a fuzzy crocodile because you got a bunch of these things like wiggling off and you know it's time to run. (laughs) (laughs) I would want to take this a little bit towards the abolith. Okay. Because it is an aberration. Aboliths are aberrations that... Okay. So aboliths are these aquatic creatures that are psionic. They're able to communicate telepathically with any intelligent Mm. creature in the area. And they have this sort of mucus cloud around them. Oh, yeah. And the the Mm. mucus is able to infect other creatures and will eventually turn them into a creature called a scum, which is basically all of your outsides turn to jello. And so you have to live in the water or otherwise you'll dehydrate and die. 
Okay. I like Mika's Cloud. That reminds me a little <laughs> bit of my one-year-old son right now. He seems to be a walkie-talkie Mika's Cloud. Oh. It's very so, scary. So yeah. I can totally see, like, the mucus that surrounds these tentacles. They have this, the barbs to grab the thing. And then the mucus is also the way that they digest their food. So oh, they, yeah. the mucus mm. breaks down the meat that they manage to snag out of the water and then they absorb it through the tentacle. Okay, yeah. I like that. That makes sense. All yeah. right. So let's go ahead and do a quick recap of what we've got. <laughs> it burrows. It feeds on meat slash carrion. It is tiny in size. It has a horde organization, so 100 plus individuals per group. Its native environment is freshwater coastal. Its method of defense is a pseudopod slash tentacle. It is an aberration creature type. They are capable of volatile hybrids, so they are able to reproduce with other similar but different species. It tastes through its limbs, and it can fire 2d6 barbs per day. Now the hardest question. What are we going to call it? Hmm. Naming it is almost always the hardest part. Sometimes we get one right off the top. This one, I'm I'm not... I don't know. I'm kind of thinking of some sort of like blight or it's not rust there's another term for when you get a gunk on a plant uh, is it <laughs> rust that's not no, rust rust it, is is a powder yeah um but yeah definitely i i would see it as someone is seeing this as like a fungal blight or uh or something just from okay. the look of it yeah i can especially since it's going to have that mucusy goop yeah it's going to be slimy but you can still see the tentacles yeah so yeah i can really see somebody who didn't know it was an aberration looking at it and saying, yeah, that's a fungal infection. Yeah. Hmm. My head was going towards, I was thinking like a network of neurons. Okay. And how, how they connect like the dendritic connections and like, like synapse, kind of like a synapse. Yeah. But you know, the gooiness is not quite a part of that picture. <laughs> I mean, mushrooms and fungus can be gooey and interconnected. Oh, dendritic goop. Dendritic goop. Oh, my brain is going towards something rot. Okay, Mm. because this is going to be a name that the everyday person who just comes across a creature that has these parasites in them, yeah, is going to call it because they're not going to want to stick around and do you know scientific tests to figure out what in the world this is because the thing that has been parasitized, the host, is going to be exceedingly aggressive because that's what the parasite is doing. It's mind controlling this creature and forcing it to be aggressive to generate food for the parasites. Delta rot could work because we said it'd be like in a Delta or like, cause it's coastal. So like a Delta or a bog or something like along those lines. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking more along the lines of what it does, what it does. Okay. Like, uh, Oh, like the rage rot. Rage Rod or Frenzy Rod or something like that. Oh, Rage Rod sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, I can work with that. Yeah, so we'll call it Rage Rod. It rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Yeah, got a nice alliteration going. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. Naming things is always hard. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for anything. (laughs) All right, well, that was fun. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. It also makes me want to be careful and <laughs> going in the water. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure you like have those water shoes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, so another one of the things that we like to do with our guests is to have them give a shout out to someone else. Mm. 
Usually we ask for a shout out for someone else in the TTRPG community, this being Mental Health Awareness Month and you being a mental health content creator. If you would like to give a shout out to another mental health content creator, that would also be good too. Who would you like to give a shout out to today? Yeah, I have I have the perfect person in mind. So good friend of mine, his name is Josue Cardona, and he's created this whole community of geeky therapists. It's called Geek Therapy. So if you look up Geek Therapy online, you're going to find him. You're going to find all his stuff. And it's a great community of people who are passionate about mental health and also are big geeks, whether it is gaming or science fiction, fantasy, video games, tech, whatever it is. It's a community that loves all this stuff. So if you're interested in like anything remotely (laughs) what I said, which if you're still listening to this, you probably are. Check out Geek Therapy, Josue Cardona's group. It's a lot of great stuff there. He's got a long running podcast, many different podcasts. You're going to find good stuff that you like there. Awesome. Excellent. And then finally, we're going to open the floor and let you plug you. Where can we find you? Where can we find your work? All of that stuff. Yeah, if you're interested in staying in touch, the best way is going to be either on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at D-R-A-L-I, Dr. Ali, that'll get you to me. Or you can just type in my name, Ali Matu, into YouTube, you'll find me too. And I am also just very recently started a new podcast. It's called Inside Voices with Dr. Ali. And that whole podcast is obsessed with this idea of social support. How do we share what's going on with others? And then how do we show up for our friends, family, our loved ones in our own lives? Episode one of that is coming out on Monday, but the trailer's already out. So you can subscribe to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, so that's me. And then from there, you know, we'll be in touch. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Matu, thank you very, very much for joining us today on Undercommon Taste. It's been an absolute blast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's I could spend all day talking (laughs) to you guys. This is this was a lot of fun. Uh, You made it super easy and super fun. Thank you. I don't think I've ever created a monster on a interview before. <laughs> that is not a thing I've done. So <laughs> thank you for that. That was my first. And it was, uh, I feel like every interview should have that. Yeah. It's a reconversation. So yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, for those of you listening, if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can reach out to us under common taste at gmail.com or through our Twitter account at UCT homebrew for however long the dumpster fire of Twitter continues. <laughs> <laughs> We're also on Instagram, uh. Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch uh, at under common taste. We're on Mastodon under common taste at dice.camp. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash under common taste. That's where our write-ups go. That's where eventually Rage Rot will end up. Uh, my life has been 500 miles an hour for a little while now, so I haven't had a chance to really work on a whole lot, but it will get up there eventually. Um, if you want to help support the show financially, we encourage you to come over and become a patron. I'll have to announce that we do have a new patron. Woo-hoo. Our mutual friend, Ree, who is currently working on our website that is not yet live, she has <laughs> just joined our Patreon. So, hey, Ree. Hola. We also have an itch store under commentaste.itch.io. That's where our liminal horror adventure beneath the lake and my solo RPG forever home are available if you want to help support the show financially that way. And finally, we are on Discord and you can find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We would love to have you come over and chat with us. 
Absolutely. You can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. As always, please give us a rate and review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what kind of content you want to hear more of. Uh, Dr. Matu, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Everyone stay safe. We'll see you again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash David Sutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks, so stay safe and we'll see you then.